started a new series called The Very Good Gospel, and it's my great privilege to invite Stephanie up. Um, put her, let's put our hands together for Stephanie, and just bless her. Um, Stephanie's going to teach uh, the second part, so I don't really want to steal your thunder, but I'd love to pray for you, Stephanie, if that's okay. Please. Um, so uh, again, join with me as we just bless Stephanie. She brings all that God has laid on her heart to share um, with us this, this week. Father God, again, we thank you for your presence, and we thank you for Stephanie. We thank you, um, Lord, just for her presence in this community, for uh, the person that she is, the heart that you've given her, Lord, the gifts that um, she has, Lord, and um, just her love for you and your kingdom. We pray that she would know your presence close to her as she ministers and teaches us this morning that which you've laid on her heart. We pray that your Holy Spirit would move, that we would make room for you to speak to us, give us the eyes and the ears to see and to hear what you might say to us, and give us the receptivity that is so required to know uh, what you're saying and how you're leading us and guiding us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Um, I'll just get myself organized. I've recently retired from the NHS, so I've got myself a new laptop, and to be honest, it's far too fancy for me, so it takes me a while. Um, but I'll, I'll see how I go. Um, okay. Um, the first thing, I, oh, I have to remember the camera. I'm a family therapist, as you all know, so I think of us as a family. And I think in families, it's really important to mark things when they go well. And it's also important to own things when maybe they don't go so well. Um, and it's been on my heart this week to look you all in the eye and say that in the last year and a half, maybe since COVID began, I don't feel I have led well in this community. I could offer lots of context, um, but that would feel like defence, and I don't want to do that. I simply want to eyeball you all and say... I don't think I've led well. I'm sorry for that, and it is my deep intention to do better. Um, so that, that's it out there for me. <laughs> um, and if that makes no sense to any of you, then that's good. Um, that means you haven't noticed, so that's positive. Okay. Dave started our, our series last week, The Very Good Gospel, How Everything Wrong Can Be Made Right. And I've been really musing on um, the Peterson translation of Matthew 11, 28 to 30, for those who are exhausted and fed up and tired of religion. And I've been talking to so many people, and I would own it myself, that I'm actually tired of religion. I want no more. I have so many friends who have no intention of returning to church after COVID. I have so many people of my colleagues and families that have ju they're just done. And there's a little bit of that resonates with me as well because COVID has taken us out of all our rhythms and our routines. It has taken us out of everything that we considered normal. And my, every year I ask the Lord to give me a word for the year. And this year the, the word he gave me was repent. Um, a very old fashioned word, but a beautiful word. And I'm, I'm convinced it's not just for me, but I suppose what I've been repenting of is what I thought church was. 
what I've been repenting of or the ideas that I have held. And I am determined to return to the gospel because I think we've been getting it wrong. I'm convinced we've been getting it wrong. And my deep heart desire is that in this series, we find out what the gospel of Jesus actually is and how it can make a difference in our lives and in the lives of the communities that we interface with and in the lives of this city and this nation. So that is my heart. I find it exciting. I'm hopeful. And I hope that by the end of this series, we are a changed people. We are a changed community. Uh, I thought we'd look at um, our culture here in Northern Ireland to kind of frame what we maybe have understood by the gospel. And the gospel has been preached and we have sent missionaries for many, many years from this nation. My daughter, Olivia, did a, a dissertation on the Kwaibo mission, and I think one of the quotes will come up behind. And they were godly people that started in the 1800s to send people to Nigeria to preach the gospel. And she looked at that and looked at all their letters and what they produced. And I kind of loved this quote. It sort of made me giggle. How pleasant and encouraging to see those people coming neatly and cleanly dressed, who not 40 years ago were naked and ignorant savages, given up to all kinds of sinful and bloody customs. That was the gospel. There was a lot. It's a, it's a very interesting little read. I'm not criticizing here my heart. Those were godly people who went to Nigeria and built schools and set up hospitals and changed lives. But somewhere in it, they thought that the gospel was making them like us. And I'm not sure necessarily that our cultural appropriation is the gospel. Stephen, my husband, as you know, is a photographer. And I don't know if you can see that photograph of his. He's doing a study at the minute. He's been doing it for a while. Um, on gospel signs and culture in Northern Ireland. Do you see that? It says, um, I think it says something like eternity where. I can't see, my glasses aren't that good. But that's the kind of feel. And what he's looking at is how culture here in Northern Ireland is understood and the gospel is told. And so he takes photographs of, of the trees and the roadside signs. And once you are married to someone who's doing it, you see them everywhere. Um, and he did a, a thing about six months ago where he did an online discussion with other artists and they presented their work and they talked about um, what they were doing for feedback and for learning. And he told me afterwards and it, it made me weep. He said there was a, an artist from Derry and she was describing her work. And when she saw Steve's, she said, wow, when I was a kid and even now, if we drove into an area where we saw those signs on the trees, we did not feel safe. We did not feel welcome. And my dad would have said, pray that we don't break down. Pray that we don't break down. And so those signs were not just about the gospel and about eternity. They were about um, culture and belonging and identity and safety and welcome so far from the gospel, I found it utterly shocking. And that quote came to me, John Caputo, the Christian philosopher, this is not God as a projection, but God as a projectile coming at us, God as a weapon. 
And so often we have used the gospel as a weapon to define boundaries, to say, this is ours, you're not like me, you're not like us, and that's not good enough. And that is not the gospel. And I hope that as we start to dig into what the gospel actually is, we can redefine what we do. And hear my heart, I am not criticizing the people that put those on trees. They are doing what they firmly believe is right. But I am convinced that the gospel has less to do with eternity and the afterlife and more to do with bringing the shalom of heaven here on earth right now. And perhaps if we learnt and actually did that, sought the shalom of heaven here and now, that might be the gospel. And so we don't need to, even yesterday on the news, Canada announced that religious godly people put indigenous children in homes to remind them that they weren't indigenous anymore, to take them, to not let them speak their own languages, to not let them be themselves and to be something else. And 215 bodies were found this week. That in the name of the gospel. There must be more. Gillian Stewart in this community keeps talking about how we need new wineskins, how we've outgrown the wineskins. I'm utterly convinced of it. I'm no longer comfortable in the wineskin that I've been living in, that we've been living in. We need something new. And I hope that this series takes us there. The gospel has to say more about this life and how it is good news in this life. If you read the book, I don't know if anyone bought it, Sharon Harper talks about her own family story and it's, a, it's not my story to tell, so I won't retell it. But it's a powerful story about her wondering what would the gospel say to her, her people that she was descended from? What do they say to my people that I'm descended from? What do they say to you today? And so I want to return to the very beginning. I have put up on the screen Genesis 1, 1 to 31, because that's the passage that I'm going to speak to, because this was the design for the world. This was how God created us to be. I'm not going to read all 31 verses. You'll be very glad to hear. But I would encourage you to read it this afternoon or this evening and to think about it because this was the design for creation and for humanity. This was what God wanted and then we got it wrong. What I want to talk about to, is to put a context to Genesis. So they reckon it was written 538 to 450 BC. It wasn't the first creation story. The Babylonians had already written their creation story. This is the Hebrew creation story. And the Hebrew people were colonized, they were captive, they had been captive for generations, and they were now finally set free. And they were hoping to reclaim Israel and reclaim their position and establish they were coming out of exile. So if this, the gospel that is told in Genesis 1 is speaking to colonized, oppressed people, how is that not speaking to our nations today? You don't need me to talk about what's happening in terms of oppression. So the Babylonian story that came before this one was about two divine kings. They were at war with one another. They were water. There was bloodshed. They sought dominion. They sought power. And when the people were created, they were simply there to serve the gods. They had no value of themselves. They were to serve the gods. They were made out of dust, but they had nothing. There was violence. There was darkness. It was dreadful. 
In the Hebrew story, it begins with God. In the beginning, God. Elohim. Elohim. Earth was nothing but destruction and darkness, and then God spoke. And when God spoke, everything changed. The Hebrew word in that second verse, or perhaps the third verse, the Spirit of God was hovering. So that was a female noun. (laughs) Women right at the beginning, female identity was part of the story. The Spirit of God was a female noun. And Ruach, and God's spirit was brooding in a very female way as a hen will brood over her eggs and out of the eggs comes new life. And so the spirit of God was there. The darkness was real. The darkness wasn't dispensed of, but what God did was he created light. He created light. And so I think that speaks to us today. There, is, there will always be darkness in our lives and in our world. God could have obliterated it all, but he didn't. He put a boundary on it. He said enough, and he created light. And when light comes, even if it comes after generation upon generation, light will always come. And I hope that those of you who are in darkness right now, that you feel that the light will come, because it always comes. The other thing about this context is that it spoke to a people who had lived in exile for generations. And finally, the light was coming. God was above all and in all and had created all, and there was hope for them. The other thing that's very interesting is in in verse 9, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together and let the land appear. And then then they talk about vegetation and about... Verse 20, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures... Why this is relevant is that in that culture, sea monsters in ancient times were a source of fear, were a source of anxiety, were a source of concern. And so they caused fear, and they were in every fable, there was something about a sea monster. And why we should pay attention to the fact that they were kept in the story is because God, like he boundaried the darkness with light, He boundaried the darkness. He boundaried the fear. He boundaried the the anxiety that actually sea monsters usually engendered in all of us or in the people of that day. And so God creates them. They were no longer for vengeance, which is how they were understood in the context of that day. They were there for the good of all. And so God did not eliminate either them or the darkness or the fear. He simply put a limit on them. And he called them good. Everything is good. And so there's three sort of Hebrew words that um, are important in this story. To Selem, which is us made in the image of God. We even have it at the back there on that poster. Everyone is an icon. Everyone is an icon. We are all made in the image of God. The other... Hebrew word I want to draw our attention is is dimwuth. I'm probably getting, there'll be a Hebrew scholar horrified at my pronunciation. Forgive me. We're all made in the likeness of God and because we are made in the likeness of God, we have dignity and worth. And Rudah, we are called to have dominion. And so it says here at the end, 
We are called to have dominion. And dominion in those days was thought of as something about power and control. But this dominion that is spoken about in the Hebrew creation story is Ruda, and that is about stewardship. So we are put in the world and in this beautiful creation. Everything is under God. Everything is made for a reason, and we are to steward it well. So if we really understand that gospel, then that is going to change how we live, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we look after the environment, how we vote, how we choose our governments, how we choose those in power, because we are going to look for the people and the powers who will make sure that they call out the image of God in everyone, who will make sure that the oppressed are set free, who will make sure that those who are less are given their place and given their worth. And so I hope that as we journey our way through this series, we start to really think about all the values that we have, how we spend time and money, who we put in power, who we give authority in our land, how we live out the gospel. We are called not to be power over the world or dominion over the world, but stewardship of the world. The other very significant thing in this context of the Hebrew world is that women were viewed as property. They were nothing more than property. And here we have God creating man in his own image. The image of God he created, male and female, he created them. And so women were taken completely from where they were understood from their place in that society and they were given their rightful place alongside man. That to me is really good news. At the end of verse 31, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Tov meod is the the Hebrew word for very good. God looked at everything that he had made and it was very good. There was nothing that was beyond his his control, his design, his creation. It was very good. And some um, meanings of Tov Meud is gloriously good, extravagantly good, amazingly good, if we want to go into 2020. (laughs) Really, really good. There is nothing that is not good. He looked at it all and it was good. And so all of us are created in the image of God. All of us carry the icon of the father, of the mother, and everything is very good. In the Greek culture, the strive is always for perfection and for individualism. I think that might be my next slide. Yes, it is. In the Greek culture, perfection is the key. But in Hebrew, in this gospel, the good is in the in-between. So the good, the very good that comes. So my identity, my worth does not come from me becoming perfect. Neither does yours. The very good of the gospel is the bit that comes between us is the part that goes on the in-between. That is where we are to be. It is interconnected and it is a good between us. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace was shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek was irene. And Jesus was the irene. The core idea is that life is complicated. 
We are all interconnected. We are full of moving parts. And if one of us is out of alignment, then we're all, there is no shalom. There is no shalom. The shalom comes when we are all interconnected and together. And our call as the people of Jesus, as the followers of Jesus, is to restore the shalom of heaven as was the design to this earth. And how we do that is between. I don't focus on me. Because if I focus on me and my perfectionism, then I have to think about you and your perfectionism. And that leads me into judgment. But if I think of what is between us, it's freeing for me, and more importantly, it's freeing for you. And perhaps that is the call of us, that is the good news. Isaiah looked forward, we know that the fall came. So this was God's design, Genesis 1, all was very good, amazingly good, beautifully good. And suddenly Adam and Eve made their choices, the fall came, shame came, that was not the design. And so Isaiah was speaking about the return of the Prince of Peace, who would restore the shalom of heaven to earth. And so I've been thinking this week, shalom, spelt wrong on that slide, is what the kingdom looks like, and that is the call. And I've been thinking about the, the issues, the, the conversations we're going to have within this journey together as a community. And I wonder, I wonder what difference it would make if instead of when I speak to a woman who maybe suffers gender violence, if I focus less on her and less on me and more on what's between us, will I get to bring peace? Will I get to bring shalom of heaven? If I, if I think of the poor in this community, the vulnerable, the misaligned, if we focus less on their perfection or ours and focus on what's between us, perhaps, just perhaps, we can invite out the image of God that is within all. If I think of the LGBTQ community, if we focus less on how they live or their eternal salvation and more on what's between us, is there a chance that we invite out more of the image of God that was, is within all of us. If I think about the children who don't get school lunches every day, about the kids who need a school uniform provided for them, how do I, how do we call out the image of God within them? How do we take the space that is between us and make it very good? That, I believe, is the call of the gospel. That excites me, energizes me, and gives me hope that we can work on the in-between and we invite others to find the image of God within them. We worry less about how they are or who they are and we think about how we invite them in to this relationship with the Prince of Peace. With the Prince of Peace who will invite the image of God in all of us further and further into beauty, into freedom and into grace. And so... I love this, I love this, this last slide. Hosea put it well. I'll call nobodies and make them somebodies. Hmm. I'll call the unloved and make them beloved. In the place where they yelled out, you're nobody, 
they're now calling you God's living children. That, I believe, is the essence of a very good gospel. That is the gospel that I want to pour my life into and out for. And perhaps we're being invited to do the same, Redeemer. So I'm excited as we move forward. I haven't been. I want us now to come to the table because the table, we lost the shalom of heaven with the fall and the Prince of Peace came to the cross and returned the shalom of heaven to earth. And that is where I would like us to land this morning. It's where we land every week. But I feel that today it's where our shalom actually has a chance to begin. And so I'm going to invite Rebecca and Stephen to come and, and lead us in a song. We're going to do it slightly differently today in that um, if you are at home, please get your bread and wine ready. We're going to sing, and whilst we sing, please come and, and take the bread and wine. And then at the end of the song, I will just lead us in a reflect, just a, a moment of reflection on the table, on the Prince of Peace, and on the Shalom of Heaven. So let's stand and let's worship, and please come and take bread and wine. you to pause for a moment as you take these elements and think of the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace who came and sacrificed himself to bring the shalom of heaven back to earth. And I want you to pause and I want you to bring to the table your sea monsters, the things that you're scared of, stuff that keeps you awake at night, the anxiety, the depression because the darkness it doesn't God doesn't make it go away but he brings the light and he boundaries it so bring your speed monsters I'm asking you to call them to mind some of you don't need to because they're right there but bring your stuff to the table and seek the prince of peace seek the prince of peace Bring your brokenness, bring your mess, bring your vulnerability. Own it. Don't be ashamed of it. But bring it, and as you take the reminder of the body of Christ, remember that his image is within you and that you are called and you are named as precious and the children of God. So as we take these, I will speak a blessing on us. If anyone wants further prayer, please, please give us the privilege of doing that. Allow us the privilege of doing that. Father, we come humble and we remember the cross. We thank you for your design for the world, which was that we all lived in peace and interconnectedness and that you are overall. And we thank you for the beautiful cross, the beautiful sacrifice of Jesus, 
are Irene, the Prince of Peace, who comes to be over and around and beside. And so in these moments, Father God, we ask that by your beautiful, gentle spirit, those who are facing the darkness, those who know they're sea monsters, those who are struggling and, uh, and misaligned and vulnerable, that they would know the Prince of Peace, that they would experience the touch of heaven, the shalom of heaven in these moments. And Father, as we recognize in one another the image of you, we ask for more. We are not going to settle with where we are. We ask for more. And we say it all and we believe it all and we call it out in the name of Jesus for your glory, your kingdom, your way and your honor in your beautiful and precious name. Amen. Amen, Redeemer.